Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. In place of a show and tell this week, I have a question and answer. So I have the questions and you have the answers. You didn't know that, did you? You are much smarter than you thought you were. So my question is, uh, we're going to be talking about prayer today. And so my question is, why do people object to public prayer? And you can let yourself off the hook. You don't have to disclose whether you personally object to public prayer, but you know what the objections are to people praying in public. Like, like not public like a public worship service, which this is a public worship service, but we're in this like religious space, so it's okay for us to pray out loud here. Um, but why do people object to public prayer? Ooh, it's not what Jesus taught, William says. William remembers in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, pray in a closet. We have different beliefs. So if I am praying in public based on my beliefs, I'm stepping on somebody else's beliefs. Lynn? Yeah, sometimes we object to ourselves praying in public because we are embarrassed to do so. It feels like showing off or reads to other people like showing off, Jennifer says. Yeah. Pressures other people to conform. I'm hearing one over here, too. Some people just like to complain. Now, um, I, want us to be, I want us to be really sort of gener generous with our reading of people's com uh, objections to public prayer. Um, but yes, there are some people you're just never going to make happy. Do we have, um, think about this internally, um, uh, think about whether your sort of relationship with public prayer is different whether the person praying publicly is a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Wiccan. Think about whether your relationship with that idea of public prayer depends on the religious identity of the person doing the praying. Now, I wanted to get some objections out on the table uh, before our scripture reading, because our scripture reading is about public prayer. But we're actually not going to be preaching about public prayer. So I want to just kind of, uh, the, the prayer that happens in the scripture reading is really kind of in your face. And then there is some within a, a defined religious space uh, prayer. So notice kind of the differences in postures in this, in this scripture reading. But I also just wanted to acknowledge that we are also talking in sort of controversial territory when we talk about prayer um, and our relationship with other people's prayer. So, Warren, would you share our scripture reading with us? Lord God, pour out your spirit upon us to bring good news to the oppressed and let your word be fulfilled among us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now, this morning, our lengthy scripture reading is from Acts 3, 1 to 10, and 4, 16 to 31. It's found on pages 146 to 148 in your New Testament Pew Bible. 
Why don't you listen as I uh, read this uh, scripture lesson. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he finally fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it, but to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was one more than 40 years old. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them? It is you who said, by the Holy Spirit, through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The word of God. Thanks be to God.
this transition is a lot smoother because our habit of the gospel this week is prayer and not music, because if I had asked for a Q&A session on objections to the public performance of religious music, <laughs> then we would have had a very different conversation just now. But there's actually there's something really great about the way that this congregation approaches just that moment that we've just shared together because we call that moment a gift of music. A gift of music. We invite folks to share that music with us as a gift. It is not a performance to you, the congregation. It is allowed to be just a gift that we share together. I've been grateful for the gift of prayer in these past few weeks, and particularly for the gift of other people's prayers during these last few weeks, including your prayers. But today I'm going to talk about Hazel's prayer. Uh, we had a memorial gathering for my dad a week ago Friday at Calvin Community. It was kind of holding some space and time uh, during what was a longer-than-usual wait for uh, Dad's funeral service, but it also provided an opportunity for the staff and the residents at Calvin, where Dad lived for five years and uh, was the staff chaplain for a few years prior to that. It gave some space for folks to connect and to share their memories of Dad. Hazel is a member of the activities staff, at Calvin, uh, which is where the chaplain role is also lodged. So even during the time that Dad was the chaplain at Calvin, Hazel was a unique support for Dad. She offered him prayer, she offered a listening ear, and they had this unique connection that continued even once Dad became a resident at Calvin. Dad could pray aloud coherently and well until very late in his time with dementia. But at every step along the way, even when Dad was at his very best before all that, Hazel could outpray him any day of the week. And it was an honor and a gift to invite Hazel to pray for Dad one more time at that memorial gathering at Calvin a week ago. Now, you may not know Hazel. Some of you do know Hazel. Uh, but you may not know her, but you likely know someone whom you can call on and count on to truly, humbly, boldly pray for you. You may know somebody who will pray as a gift to you, not to make a point, not as a glorified way of worrying for you, but simply as a gift offering to bring your needs and concerns into God's presence. And that person is probably shaped by a regular practice of prayer, regular practice of intercession for others, a regular practice of focused attention to God in their own life. And we're not just talking about prayer in general today. We're talking about prayer as a habit of the gospel, not just as a private spiritual practice, but how is it that prayer can be good news 
for others? How can our prayer be good news for someone else? Tom Bagley writes about the early church, and he quotes historian Alan Kreider. So some of these are Tom's words, some of these are Alan's words. Uh, He writes, In the lives of the early followers of Jesus, there was something so uncommon and attractive about the way they prayed that it literally drew people to them. Indeed, it was the early Christians' practice of prayer that empowered them and gave them buoyancy. Because they believed that God answers prayers, they could take risks, live lives that were eventful and imprudent, and be faithful even when it got them into hot water. When outsiders got a whiff of it, they wanted in. Prayer that is good news for our neighbors brings every part of life before God, and especially the parts of life when it seems like God is hard to find. Prayer that is good news for our neighbors holds the world's needs before God with the expectation that God is going to act. It holds the needs of our neighbors and the needs of our enemies together before God with the expectation that God loves them just as God loves us. Prayer that is good news for our neighbors listens for a calling to action. It's like John Lewis used to say, when you pray, move your feet. So let's take a look at the prayers in today's scripture reading. How is it that Jesus' early apostles prayed in a way that was good news for their neighbors and the world around them? Well, it started with moving their feet. In particular, they were moving their feet to the temple for daily and weekly rituals of prayer. The miraculous healing that started today's story, that miraculous healing began with being in the right place at the right time. The right place was the temple, and the right time was three o'clock in the afternoon every day for ritual prayer. Ritual prayer is important for me because the rituals have a way of being bigger than just my needs and my worries. The rituals have a way of being bigger than my own individual momentary desire to pray. Rituals have a way of reminding me that prayer is about God more than it is about me. And so I pray right here in worship with y'all. I pray daily, most days, whether I'm in the mood to do that or not. The early church prayed with scripture. You heard them quote a psalm at the beginning of their prayer time after Peter and John had left and gone away from the religious leaders. They prayed the psalms, which are also my personal favorite part of the Bible, They use scripture to try to discern where God is present, what God is doing in a present context that was truly frightening and dangerous in a way that many of us have never had to encounter. They used those inspired words in the way that they can claim a present context as part of a much greater story, as part of God's story in the world. And Scripture has a way of interrupting, has a way of interrupting where we are right now, how we are right now, but interrupting with God's promises. 
that text remembers something that we so often forget, that God is present, even if God seems to be really hidden in our present context. And so I read the Psalms. Sometimes the Psalm is the only words that I say out loud on a given day in prayer, because the words of those Psalms are one way that the Spirit prays for me when I don't know how to pray. And the apostles do one more thing. They expect God to answer, not always with protection, but always with provision. The reading tells us that the church prayed for boldness more than they prayed for safety. And I learned to pray for strength and for God's presence, even if healing or peace don't happen to come in the form that I'm looking for them. The church expected God to act, God who was already truly present in their lives. And even if God's answers are different from our expectations or our requests, the church trusts that God is there and active. So Tom Bagley recommends, as he teaches us about prayer, he recommends that we write down the ways that God responds to our prayers and that we share that good news with our neighbors in the church. And with that attitude and with that approach, maybe our prayers can be good news for our neighbors. Maybe it can be good news for our neighbors when we pray with eager expectation that God is already there and ready to act. Maybe it's good news for our neighbors when we pay attention to God's presence in Scripture and in time and space. It is good news for our neighbors when we pray for ourselves and them and the world around us with generosity and compassion. Hazel's prayer was a piece of the good news for everyone who was present at that gathering a little over a week ago. She gave the invocation. She gave this prayer naming who God is and inviting God to be yet more fully present with us. She gave bold thanks and praise for the simple reality of God's living presence in our lives. She gave thanks for my dad's life, who my dad was for us and particularly for those who were there at that gathering. She gave thanks for who dad was and is in God's reality, and she just lifted up love for him as well as for God. And she framed that whole event with comfort and with trust in God's promises. That is one way that our prayer can be good news for our neighbors. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. At the end of this week, members of Covenant's youth group will spend two days at Wildwood Hills Ranch, our newest mission partner. As we prepare to dedicate our monetary gifts, we will also be commissioning these partners in mission and their adult leaders. Our youth group members participating are Mason Schieber, Elizabeth Hilliard, and McKenna McClintock. They will be accompanied by adult leaders Mark Hilliard and Laura Schieber. Our youth will be joined by other youth from Heartland Presbyterian Church on this mission trip. 
We are all called by God to be the church of Jesus Christ, a sign in the world today of what God intends for all humankind. So in the unity of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that Jesus Christ has called this delegation to a specific act of discipleship. Our youth group members become ambassadors for Christ to the greater church and witnesses to our Lord in this trip. And we pray that they will grow in their discipleship to him whom we follow. We pray that our youth group members will be participants in the joy and celebration of serving Christ and his people, that they may know, that they may serve knowing that we serve and pray with gratitude for them as they extend the peace of Christ our Lord. So, youth group, I'm looking at you right through that camera. You accept this task on behalf of the congregation. And we, the members of Covenant Presbyterian Church, we commit to support you with our prayers and with our love. So you are commissioned to this service, and we look forward to your return. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.